Four Degrees to the Streets is designed to empower anyone curious about places and spaces, not just persons with professional degrees or backgrounds. Here we will cover a host of topics, including transportation, health, housing, and the environment through the lens of racism, classism, and sexism, and give listeners the tools they need to overcome institutional barriers. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the number four degrees pod and tune in every other Tuesday where Nemo and Jazz keep it four degrees to the streets. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the four degrees to the streets podcast. This is episode four of season three um, and our second episode in 2023. So belated happy new year. Um, you know how people say Happy New Year until like February, but February to April, it's still like appropriate in the first quarter. Um, but how are you doing, Jasmine? April is a stretch, Nemo. If you're African, they will keep saying it. <laughs> every time it's the first time they'll see you that year. After Black That's History Month, we, we cannot keep saying Happy New Year. It's March. Um, I'm doing good. The holidays were great. Um, was able to see a lot of family, spent a lot of quality time with them. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it was a very chill, um, chill holiday season. And with all of the like travel and random weather things that went on, I'm glad I was just pretty stationary. Um, but yeah, well, I'm glad you're also doing well. Um, I'm excited for this episode. We have our first guest um, of the third season. Um, and I had a chance to uh, meet her virtually um, a few years ago um, through our connection um, in Seattle. Um, And so we have Julia with us today, um, and I'll read her bio, and then we'll get a little bit into what we'll be talking about. Um, But overall, we'll be covering topics um, related to public engagement, specifically how that impacts Black communities, um, outreach, both on the side of um, uh, planning professionals who do outreach, and then how that outreach actually touches the community and the people who it impacts. Um, So this is a conversation that Jasmine and I have touched on in many episodes um, and with other guests as well. Um, so I'm excited to have someone who is in the field right now, present day, doing a lot of that work um, and, you know, part of the con- the evolution of how it's impacting um, Black communities, too. So I just went on that rant, but <laughs> uh, Julia is a community planner working towards equitable, sustainable futures by creating, by centering minoritized experiences in governance, planning, and development. She amplifies this perspective by centering equity and engagement in her community development work with local governments, agencies, nonprofits, and associations. Born and raised in San Francisco Bay Area on a lone land, Julia now lives, works, and plays on Duwamish territory in Seattle, Washington. Um, So I will turn it over to Julia. Um, Please tell us about yourself. Um, I know I mentioned that in your bio, but um, the pronouns that you identify with, your location, um, educational and professional background, um, and anything you want to share with us. Sure. Hi. (laughs) I'm happy to be here with you all and sharing space. Um, Yeah, as you said, I'm Julia. I use she series pronouns. And um, I always usually start by talking about where I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area on Ohlone land because growing up there made me really aware of the impacts of rapid development on communities and the surrounding environment from a young age. Um, So I grew up in the Silicon Valley specifically, um, which didn't look anything like how it does now when I was younger. And that really shaped my path towards urban planning. Um, I moved to Duwamish Territory in Seattle to study at the University of Washington. 
um, where I still live now. And at the UW, I really immersed myself into a variety of things. Um, I often joke now that I was hyper involved. <laughs> I majored in um, cultural communication and in a student-led community-based planning major of sorts uh, called Community Environment and Planning, and I minored in diversity studies. So I always worked full-time throughout my time in undergrad and um, usually had about three jobs at a time while being a full-time student in order to really support myself and my education. And luckily for me, I'm really grateful that those work opportunities often reflected my interests and studies and helped me advance my skills and career to have a strong start in entering the workplace, especially being a pandemic graduate. Um, so through my career so far, I guess I've, I've developed different DEI programs, um, worked on being a liaison and bridging historically excluded communities and larger organizations, whether it be a nonprofit or government, um, and really advise local governing bodies on those topics that you mentioned, like equitable engagement, urbanism, and development. And I now continue to do that and serve my community locally in our county and city and metropolitan planning organization, um, as well as nationally through an organization called Black Space Urbanist Collective, which I love and we'll probably talk about a lot, and um, NACDO. And I hope it covered everything. Um, and that that was helpful. I think the core of it, honestly, is wanting to work towards a co-creative future and bringing forward Blackness in traditional governments and urbanist spaces while learning from people and being in community and really just taking, you know, making the most of opportunities like this to get to talk with folks and um, learn more. Thank you, Julia. Um, I appreciate you sharing your location and your how your upbringing shaped, even the things you studied in, in undergrad. I mean, all of the different majors and minors seem very active, and I'm very <laughs> glad. But I do think they played a really big role. When you think of planning, all of those things, cultural communication, diversity studies, all play a role in, in right. city planning. And so I think those all fit really well. So I'm proud of you. I'm very happy for you in that regard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we wanted to have you on the podcast today because of your work around community and civic engagement, uh, specifically the research that you worked on with the Black or Block Empowerment Party. And so I'd like you to spend some time just talking about what that means, what it is, and how that kind of came to be. Yeah. So this was a couple of years ago now, um, which is so wild. Time is flying. It feels like it went from 2019 to 2023 in like two seconds. Uh, <laughs> but the Black or Block Empowerment Party is a program that really at its core seeks to address inequities within government structures um, and development processes through offering a new or innovative and creative solution that honors that space um, for affected communities to be stakeholders and catalysts. Um, and the Black Empowerment Party, I'll just call it the BEP, <laughs> was my urban planning capstone um, on doing exactly that, reimagining civic participation as culturally responsive with a focus on Blackness and placemaking. And I think in just talking about it, it seems very abstract. <laughs> so to break it down a little bit, the research question that I asked was, 
how block parties could be used as an empowerment tool to positively affect civic engagement for the black community. And it really intersected in my different um, interests and work experiences and studies, as, as you mentioned, um, of really outreach strategies for underrepresented communities and the power of civic engagement and identity and communication, and then just the inherently political history of being Black in public space. Um, and while it was grounded in research, I think the whole thing was definitely very conceptual, considering it was the pandemic, and I wasn't able to actually host any sort of event, which honestly, in retrospect, I'm really grateful for, because I don't think I would have been able to get as in-depth with my literature review or interview as many people or research um, and take as much time as I did in my in that whole process, just if I had to also carry the weight of planning an event of that scale. Um, but those methods included, as I as I just touched on, a lit review to to frame the topic, and then interviewing Black community leaders in disciplines across the U.S. for their experience and insight, um, and a creative depiction of the Block Party as like a re-envisioning zine, since I wasn't able to host it itself, which was really fun and enjoyable um, to create, um, like a almost like a collage. It was super fun and, and getting to take people's words and translate them into pictures and um, all of that. So it really centered Black empowerment, learning, and civic amplification. And I feel like now I'm just rambling, but I guess the main aim of those products was to provide any individual of underrepresented identities with that framework and inspiration, really, to implement a project of that kind of nature that was cultu culturally responsive to them through discovering more innovative innovative methods to public outreach and empowerment rooted in their own histories. Um, and yeah, it really attempted to address those inequities within those structures um, and, and uplift different community voices. Originally, I wanted to try to do like every community. <laughs> was the stretch so I started with the community I knew best which was my own so the black community Julia thank you for providing that background I just wanted to ask a quick um, follow-up question realizing that you did this research kind of during the pandemic did the absence of having those gatherings to attend, like seeing actual block parties and the restrictions around them, influence your research at all? And how the restrictions of not being able to gather, how were people building up their community and doing civic engagement in the virtual world? Did you consider that at all in your research? Yeah, I did a little bit. Um, I think that it really emphasize my desire to want to do the project and more focusing on engagement physically because I saw the impact that it had on not only myself but obviously others and just that longing for that in-person community and connection and how important that is to the Black community. It was just so huge and integral and something that really allowed many of us to bond. I think being at, at a university during that time was super helpful in continuing to be able to meet virtually and having those set places and spaces and more of a smooth transition to 
being online because that was just what we needed to do in order to obtain our degree and finish. Um, and so it wasn't, while well, I didn't have a virtual sector within my research, I think that inherently by the nature of what was going on at the time and is still happening now and transitioning into the workplace and still being virtual, I've been able to transition a lot of those concepts and ideas into Zoom and Teams and a lot of virtual spaces. Thanks for asking that. Yeah, something I'm still figuring out how to do as I feel like the news with COVID and what life looks like is continuing to change every day. Thank you. Um, yeah, that actually goes pretty well into our next question. You know, while not being able to host an actual block, block party and um, even through um, the interview uh, where you interviewed me for the for the research yes. project those years ago, <laughs> um, I don't think I knew that you actually wanted to do it, uh, uh, that, you know, you had maybe were intentionally were originally inspired by doing an actual block mm -hmm. party. Um, but with that, what did you uncover about community outreach and civic engagement, whether that was from other interviews or just um, your literature review or um, sort of the after conversations that happened when the project was finalized? Yeah, I think it's hard to put into one, one thing or like a list. I think it has become so ingrained in my way of thinking now and how I navigate space that yeah, it's hard to separate. Um, I loved, I really loved doing the interviews. It was, I interviewed about 24 people and each of you had so many wonderful things to say and share and experiences. And I feel like what I uncovered was really just like a culmination of different interests and ideas. And the biggest thing I felt like there was so much overlap, it really affirmed all these things that we already knew. <laughs> Right. Um, and I think a lot of times with a lot of equi equity concepts and um, ideas, you have to do a lot of that because people don't see it as legitimate if it's not like quantifiable um, and sharing things that are your experience and that we know are true to folks that have never experienced that before. They just will not take it as fact um, unless there's some evidence backing it right in a more traditional academic sense. And so a lot of it was really grounding those ideas and having them written out and having more people's experiences and having, you know, being able to point to XYZ reference that this is true and is our experience. And I think being able to put into words that there's so much nuance in community um, in each community. And I think the tension between there's so much nuance in the black community and the diaspora and also there's so much you know now with especially after the murder of George Floyd and all the calls to action depend whether or not they were authentic in different orgs and spaces around diversity and trying to hire more people of color and like you know all of those things that we can think of there was so much grouping of like blackness, blackness, blackness without really making space for the nuances of our community and of each individual and not all of us need the same things and same resources. And I think that that was really probably the biggest takeaway at that time with everything happening in the context, just because 
I think we were at such a huge turning point in history. And I'm excited over the years to see more resources that come out of like these past couple years in the pandemic. But just such a huge turning point in equity and diversity and people still learning the understandings and definitions of those things. But really, as Blackness was becoming so centered and global as as those protests went, um, really highlighting this is such a huge opportunity to make a difference right now and trying to create different community advisory groups and this and that and uplifting organizing, but trying to remember and center like, hey, in this time, we are still nuanced people. We don't all want the same things. We don't all have the same experiences. And in those very spaces you're trying to create as a safe space can also, you're curating it with a certain idea of black people in mind and that's not always going to work and going to center us. So really just going to community and meeting people where they're at and having those face-to-face interactions and building that trust was probably the biggest takeaway. So. Yeah, I hope that that made sense. I feel like it's definitely something I'm continuing to unpack and I'm looking forward to seeing how, as I said, it continues to develop. And we talk about it as diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all of those fun words continue to be at the forefront of what we're doing. Julia, when you were mentioning like the pieces about understanding that it's not a monolith, right, with um, different Black communities and planning resources for those communities um, and how so much changed after um, George Floyd in 2020, where, you know, multiple organizations and um, Mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, government or corporations were coming together trying to do something. Um, I feel like something I've been seeing recently um, is around meaningful community engagement as a shift Mm -hmm. from just like public engagement and some of the maybe just legal requirements that um, that, you know, local local or state governments are required to do for certain planning practices. Um, Do you think that that's just a buzzword that's possibly coming from it? And how does it differ from maybe more traditional forms of engagement? Yeah. I think that's so hard and I'm smiling very big <laughs> because I feel like that's everything that I do in my day to day and in the work. And I think if we're not careful in this day and age with how quickly information circulates and I think how little research and actual grounded evidence and understanding people will do on the, these topics, anything can become a buzzword really quickly. Um, and Yeah, I I find that within my work right now, um, my role is within a program called co-creation and community engagement. And co-creation itself, while rooted in, you know, grassroots organizing now is like, I see everyone just slapping (laughs) onto things. And it's like, do we even know what that means? What does that look like for you? What does this actually look like? And, you know, you can say that you're co-creating something as an organization, but with, you know, partnership, in partnership, it's like, there's two sides to that, and there needs to be that reciprocity, and so, yeah, in regards to it being a buzzword, I think that that is always a possibility, and I think it depends on the organization and the space. I think right now it is, just because I'm not seeing a lot of tangible action backing up this talk, Um, but I do, 
I do hope that that is something that we can continue to do. I think it's a lot easier to talk about and, you know, say that it's something you want to do because it takes so much time and it's so hard to know whether or not it can be authentic when, you know, they decided whoever to put it in a mission statement two months ago and relationships take years to form and be cemented. And so, yeah, I think that that's something I'm also asking myself, right, of how is this going to continue to grow? And in my own jobs right now of trying to encourage these kinds of meaningful connections and relationship building, there's just so much to navigate. And that's a lot of what my my thesis looked at was like, there's so much mistrust. How can we actually form reciprocal, meaningful relationships and also honor maybe people don't want to have those relationships and you're just not going to be able to have them. Like there's that too, right? So yeah, I think that's also something I'm reflecting on and appreciate you all uplifting and having us think about together because I think it'll it's going to take time and and space and reflection that I'm not sure if people are ready <laughs> ready for. Um, I think that's a lot of radical reimagining. Um, yeah, just understanding that not everyone's going to be ready for it. I'm going to go off script here, as I always do, Nemo. <laughs> and um, ask you both, as both Nemo and Julia, in a few words, what does meaningful community engagement look like for you? Understanding that the Black community is not a monolith and we all have mm-hmm. our own ideas and perceptions of what it means to participate. Julia, how do you define or what would meaningful community engagement look like for you? And then I'll ask the same to you, Nemo. Yeah, I think, um, as I've already shared, it, it needs to be culturally responsive, right? So depending on the community, adjusting accordingly. Um building that trust. I know we hear a lot of moving at the speed of trust, Um, but also understanding that listening is a really powerful tool and muscle that we don't use enough. Um, It's a lot of talk and not a lot of time to listen and take feedback. I think that's huge, especially when trying to rebuild that trust with communities from a government perspective is, you know, we have our processes, we have our timelines, and we don't want to move them. <laughs> They're very cemented. And if you can't, you know, you can't always think, I guess, there's so many things going through my mind right now that I'm trying to organize. But when entering a community space to make sure that it's meaningful and authentic, having a list of what is actually feasible, I think being transparent with community, because we can say, we're going to co-create this new vision. And but at the end of the day, you still have your deadlines. Let's be real. <laughs> be for real. <laughs> You're not going to just go in there and continue to break trust and promises. So just being authentic and listening and um, amplifying their joy and realities. Yeah, um, Julia, something I really appreciated that you had said um, in your response was accepting that maybe people don't want to have those relationships. Um, so I think a lot of times... Um, that those who have power hold positions of power go in with the assumption like why wouldn't they want what we're offering whether that's the government whether that's an organization like why wouldn't they want to um to be a part of this or they have something to gain from it um but it's like (laughs) but it's like you know that's not always that's not always the case um right accepting that 
Um, and so for me, I, I would define meaningful community engagement as being radical and accepting the truth, the truth of what's happened in the past, mm -hmm. um, the truth of what's happening in the present. And like you said, with the deadlines and um, things being truthful about what can happen in the in the what's going to happen in the future. Um, and I think that takes a level of radicalness that is a slow. I think we're slowly opening to where people are not as, you know, maybe shocked or put off by that level of honesty. Um, so that would be an ideal world of meaning, meaningful community engagement for me. Well, I want to, I was wondering if I could take a pause and ask you what authentic engagement looks like for you. <laughs> of course you can. Um, for me, and I, I, I will say it's the same as Nemo, it really did stick out to me when you said accepting that some people just will not want to engage, that the, the communication and the trust has been broken so many times that they are restrictive to that engagement but truthfully i think meaningful community engagement involves bringing in the community in the idea setting stage so it's interesting because we have an episode on the master planning process um which would which would have been released right before this episode and we talk about the steps that the community or the planning office and the city government go through to build out their 20 or 30 year plan and i think it's important for planners and municipal officials to go to communities when they're visioning and have them involved in the visioning but also consistently involve them in the budgeting process. And so it's one thing to say, okay, it's 2023 and we're writing our 2053 plan and what do you want to see? When you already know that there are projects in the works that were part of the 20, the 2000 to 2020 to 2040 plan that are already in the works. And so being mindful of not only the visioning process in communities, but also what is already in the pipeline is very important because it involves the municipal leaders having their knowledge of what's already coming down the pike and the community members, whether they just moved into that neighborhood or they just became 21 or they're 75 now and they were 65 before, they all have different ideas and they're all participating at a different time period. But it's our responsibilities as planners and as municipal leaders to bring our knowledge and if someone is saying well we want to have bike lanes on main street but you already know that main street is just about to get planned to widen and doesn't include bike lanes have that conversation don't let them draw right. up this big vision when you know that the money is already in place to put a train down the middle of main street and bike <laughs> lanes are not included right yeah i feel that thank you for sharing no problem so to the question of <laughs> Black identity and the lived experience of space cannot be separated from one another. This is a quote from your um, presentation, mm -hmm. the BEP Black or Black Empowerment Party. Um, how can planners and policymakers center this in the context when working in Black communities? Yeah, I think that this is something, even myself, like as someone who identifies as a planner and Black, struggle with <laughs> because, again, like we've just been saying, there's we're not a monolith. And also, as I continue to learn and pursue different avenues of professional development, place is so huge and place-based resources and understandings are really important. So it's hard to always take these concepts and ideas and smoothly translate them into where you are. Um, but something, well, I'm, I'm part of an organization um, a nonprofit called Black Space Urbanist Collective, as I talked about a little bit at the beginning. And 
black space really prides itself on pushing you know ourselves I'm going to use the collective we for black space um our partners our fields and work to closer a little a bit closer to ideals of realizing a present and future where black people black spaces and black culture matter and thrive and I think that's like pretty close wording to what their website says um and and being part of black space I'm, I'm a project partner and what that means is we as project partners work together to design positive learning environments and communicate goals and guides um, of thoughtful discussions really intended to challenge and manifest new ways of protecting black culture and people and this looks like a ton of different things but some of my own portfolio of work um, with black space includes workshops for American Planning Association and a Habitat for Humanity and the National Building Museum. And it's really exciting and inspiring to be in these kinds of places and this scale that kind of really causes a trickle down effect of thinking about planning and policymaking to center blackness. And while, again, as I mentioned, it's very place based and I'm also continuing to learn myself. Black Space has a really great resource, a bit of self-promo, but um, their manifesto, and you can find it on their website, the Black Space Manifesto. It's really core to how we can center this context. Um, they have all these different principles um, that you can center and that our workshops are based around in really helping these organizations and individuals within them at a nationwide scale learn how to take these ideas to cultivate black spaces and protect black spaces and translate them into their own environment. So they're pretty broad, um, but a lot of principles are, um, some of them are adapted from Adrian Marie Brown's emergent strategy. A lot of them um, are pulled from the original founders of black spaces experience and education and what they've gone through and some of them like some of the ex, um, examples of some some principles are like create circles not lines um, and it says like create less hierarchy and more dialogue inclusion and empowerment and I'll just like name off some of them and it's like plan with design with right so we've been talking about this a little bit walk with people as they imagine and realize their own futures be connectors um, conveners and collaborators, not just representatives, and then be humble learners who practice deep listening, you know, choosing critical connections over critical mass. Um, and then ones like centering lived experience, um, amplifying black joy, protecting and strengthening culture, cultivating wealth, manifesting the future, you know, all of these kinds of things. Those are just read straight from the manifesto. But I think that this document and like the little blurbs that come with each of those principles are so helpful in being guiding ideas and understandings in how maybe planners and policy makers can center this context when working with black communities, because it's just, I think even in, in one city, right, each project is going to be so different. I think about within my own scope of work right now, working on our regional plan, and then working on things like equitable development and then working on like multi-county planning that is beyond 
King County or the city of Seattle and encompasses our whole region. And not all of these things are going to be the same because not all of our populations look the same. But before I go into different projects or even, you know, feeling a bit daunted by the scope or scale of what a task or effort contains, really just taking that breath and like looking at the manifesto, I have it printed on my wall. <laughs> and often in these workshops, I encourage practitioners to also do that or have it bookmarked. Um, have, when we did the one for Habitat for Humanity and they're talking about their different housing and, and how to incorporate that. And we're, we had a, um, a design charrette with them where they were challenged to rethink how they currently design housing and that was really hard, right? Um, to to try to reimagine, and as you both were saying, like be radical about what we currently do. It's really helpful to have those kinds of principles that are more overarching and broad um, that you can read and just take that time to reflect and ground within your own context um, and circumstances. So yeah, really just black space, their manifesto. They've done so much work. Um, I joined after this had been created and also interviewed them for um, the Black Empowerment Party. That's how I got connected to them in the first place. And so it was just really huge and continues to be in my own understanding and navigating of planning, policymaking, government space, um, and everything in between. <laughs> Yeah, as someone who has to do some levels of different community engagement and outreach in my day-to-day -day work, um, that really hit home for me because there are moments where it does feel overwhelming and daunting and, you know, our brains naturally kind of shift into the negative mode of like, I'm going to mess this up, I'm going to undo right. something, I'm not going to do right, I'm, I may offend somebody, I may not reach, you know, my my intention may not reach the community that I'm looking for, these are all the thoughts that go on, but um, I think the examples that you shared in the Black Space Manifesto and how you use it in your day-to-day -day work, I think helps the, if, you know, policymakers or practitioners are listening. What I heard from that was like, you're not alone. There yeah. are resources. You can always ask questions. Um, there are people who have probably done the things that you're trying to do um, mm -hmm. and, you know, utilizing your community, whether that's a professional community or the local community that you're trying to um, impact that, you know, it goes it goes both ways. So leaning mm -hmm. on that and not feeling alone in, in whatever work or goal needs to be accomplished. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and with that, what are you looking forward to about the future of civic engagement? I think just the actualization of all the things we've talked about. Um, that's really what I'm hoping for. And I'm excited. I think that we're on the way to doing that, <laughs> I hope. Um, I know that that's what I'm passionate about, what you all are passionate about, what so many people are really just working towards achieving and manifesting. And so I'm a firm believer that we're on our way to doing that. So I'm really excited. Our next question is um, more geared toward our listeners. And so our listeners are both people who work in the planning space, whether they are planners or they are real estate professionals or they're architects, but then mm -hmm. there are a host of our listeners who are the community. They are 
residents, they are renters, they are homeowners, they work for banks, they work yeah. they're in school, all different fields. They're they're non planning professionals. And so what advice or do you have any advice rather for our listeners who work in the planning field or residents who want to get involved at the local level? So both advice for other planners and then <laughs> advice for residents of community who want to be involved and who want to engage themselves in their community. Yeah, I feel like they're, they overlap. Um, and I think it's twofold. The first just being there's always opportunity. Um, just have to look for it. And I think it depends on the region. Again, I'm living in the Pacific Northwest, a region that people deem is pretty liberal. Um, and so there are a lot of opportunities around equitable engagement. I grew up in the Bay Area, so that's a perspective I'm coming from. Um, but I think being, I am so young and and being where I am right now in my career, while it's pretty early, people, a lot of questions I've gotten and doing different um, panels or interviews is like, how did you get here? What did you do? And I think just having that excitement and enthusiasm for opportunity and life and continuing to meet with people, as cheesy as it sounds, I think that we can often stifle ourselves in our own growth by, you know, experiencing doubt and not thinking we're worthy enough. And I know that imposter syndrome is huge in our community. And it's something I continue to face every day being as young as I am where I'm at, especially in the workplace. Um, and so I think just not letting others say no to you, like not stifling your own growth and really searching for those opportunities. Anytime I've been like, oh, I'm curious about you know, I hear about an agency or a plan. Like I said, with Black Space, I was super intrigued by Black Space for a couple of years. And then when it was time to do my research, I was like, I don't know if they're going to respond to me, but let's try, right? <laughs> and then they did. And that, and sometimes they don't respond too. I think just not being afraid to put yourself out there and like cold call, email, you know, send a LinkedIn message. I am a big fan of that. And a lot of getting to talk to people and getting to know their story. I think that it's really interesting how that can be branded as like networking, but I think it's so community connection is so key in a lot of minoritized communities that I never thought of it that way. I just genuinely am like, we have had so much that we've gone through and that our ancestors have gone through and to see how you have navigated this. I am so excited to learn. Right. And, and just finding those, groups and organizations that, as we talked about since 2020, are starting to make those pathways towards more equitable engagement. Are they perfect? No, right? <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> but just like entering the space and and starting to form it with them, I think, yeah, just doing a search like as broad as urbanism, equitable urbanism in blank, like that is always how I think I started and then fell down a rabbit hole and it's just exciting to see all that's out there. Um, so I think that's more broadly for anyone continuing to grow and, and develop professionally. And then also just the advice of like taking time for yourself. I think that in everything we've talked about, there's such a huge expectation to, to perform. And because of all the things that we've gone to and like break the generational curse and trauma, <laughs> all of those things and also in an in a field that doesn't have many black folks like 
feeling that representation and that weight and like all that that can take on just being gentle with yourself and not overworking yourself I'm all about like I don't know if you all have heard of that trend of like the soft life like canceling hustle culture and like just tuning in and like taking time that's definitely where I'm at now as someone who I feel like was almost in prison seems dramatic but like that was so much of what my life was all throughout college and growing up because I felt almost like this innate understanding that there were these barriers and I needed to go above and beyond to pass them Um, and now being where I'm at and continuing to know I'm going to grow and evolve just like taking a breath and letting myself be and I think each of us especially as individuals of minoritized groups um, need to take that time for ourselves for sure and drink water that's for me right now because I haven't had water this whole time (laughs) I like can hear that I'm like getting out of breath Um, but in that time and reflection drinking some water Yeah, Nemo and I do not subscribe to the hustle culture. Um, We have a saying on this podcast that we do not dream of work. We don't have dream jobs because we don't dream of work. Um, So we feel you and I'm I'm grateful. (laughs) And I think that's important, like you mentioned, being black women in this field is very difficult Mm -hmm. because you are constantly fighting against the system you're fighting against systemic racism systemic oppression of multiple groups of people and you're doing it in space and then you might be doing it in your workplace like on a day-to-day basis um, personally and so I think the self-care element for people working in this space and working in any space trying to fight injustice anywhere is is taxing and so I hope that all of us in 2023 take the time for ourselves to heal because we can't save the world one, we can't save the world. We can do the, our best to make the world a better place, but we can't yeah. save the world. And two, you can't help someone else if you haven't done the work to help yourself and be ready to go out into the world and serve um, others. And so we like to end the episode with some takeaways. And Nemo, I will let you lead us in the takeaways. Yeah, no, I was just going to add on um, to that. I think I wonder if recovering overachievers find each other like how we all found each other on this call today (laughs) we do um because jasmine and i in college were definitely similar um always always had a job or two or three and um, i'm so proud to see us now in this space where um, we do take a lot of time for ourselves we go to the gym we make sure we're eating right right um and putting ourselves first more so i just love that you touched on that and it's just so important for everyone to remember Mm -hmm. um so um, but yeah, Julie, I will let you go ahead and start um, with this conversation. If there was any final takeaways, something that hit home for you, something that that you re- that you realized, or you know, just one last thought that you wanted to share um, share with the listeners. I'm just so happy to be here. I feel like I'm just filled with gratitude for these kinds of spaces and conversations and concepts, and honestly, just futures that we're working towards and building together. Um, I think if anything, no idea is on its own and to to be able to share things and have it echoed and you all share your own experiences and seeing that overlap, it just further affirms like we're all on this path towards that future, that collective 
liberated future that we're hoping towards, it's a lot closer than we think. Um, so that's how I'm feeling today. Thank you. And Jasmine, what about you? Um, I just want to add that something I remember reading in your presentation in your video, Julie, you talked about Black joy being resistance. So I think one of the persons that you interviewed mentioned that Black joy uh, was resistance. And yeah. that really spoke to me. And maybe, you know what, let's have you speak about it just a little bit more and what that <laughs> meant for you before I discuss it further. You know what? Hold on. Yeah, no, I, I'm probably going, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I think that's huge. I think we just touched on it a little bit and being recovering overachievers and perfectionists and finding that time to, you know, for radical rest and having space to just be our full authentic selves and be joyful and take up space and not apologize for who we are, how loud we laugh, <laughs> how, how we are in community, how we are in the workplace, just everything that entails your own identity is what entails being a Black person, a Black woman, and because that is your experience and it's valid and it's true and that in itself and your existence, you know, is that resistance and I just, it makes me so happy to think about, um, yeah, I just, that's, that's it. <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Jasmine. So when I read that quote, and I can't remember the name of the person you were interviewing who said it, but it really spoke to me because I think they elaborated further to explain that so many things have been done to us in terms of policy or personally right. um, to strip us from joy, strip us from happiness, to make us feel mm -hmm. like being Black was a burden and being black was something we shouldn't be proud of. And so I think having joy as a black person is resistance because the whole world, especially in the context of the United States has tried to make us feel that my complexion and then furthermore, me being a woman is something I shouldn't be proud of is something that mm -hmm. I shouldn't have joy about. And so by simply having joy, by existing, by taking up space, by having a black party, by succeeding in the world, I'm resisting that notion that I should be ashamed of who I am. And so, yeah. and it's come up and I don't know if you guys know, but the theme of Black History Month nationally um, for 2023 is um, Black resistance. And so that just really spoke to me. And then my final takeaway for this episode is that this episode will kind of bring us into our Black History Month segment for the podcast. And our personal theme this year for Black History Month is um, Black mental health and Black mm -hmm. wellness. And so I'm grateful that we're kind of ending this conversation discussing our joy and the things we do for self-care. And I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast today, Julia. And Nemo, I'll let you bring it on home for us. Yeah, one of the um, takeaways for me, it's kind of like a random one, like it wasn't like a takeaway that I thought I would have, which is always what's interesting <laughs> about how we close these episodes. Um, I'm thinking of a, uh, a quote from the movie The Help, um, where Viola Davis's character, I think, um, uh, it says like, every day you don't have choices to make, you're going to have a decision mm -hmm. that you have to make. Um, and I think we can decide to get closer to a goal, to the goals of more equity in Black communities and righting the wrongs, um, but also accepting, too, that a lot of that work is not our loads to carry. And when right. we talk about preserving ourselves, 
um, and also tuning into our joy. Um, but then we also, you know, just we just have choices to to be to do better, choices to inspire change in in our own communities, um, or even community broadly, or whether that's just our friend group or our, our family circles um, and our networks. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of think walking away thinking about choices. Um, and Julia, just you know, from the last few years, I'm just so like impressed and so glad and thankful that we were able to to connect. Um, and I look forward to you know staying connected over the years um, and watching all of the things that that you do. Um, so also just very grateful and thankful to have you on today. Thank you. I'm so glad that you all thought of me and brought me in here to share this space and have these conversations. I'm feeling so excited for the day, for the year. <laughs> like excited to continue listening to the pod and the conversations that you all have. And just thank you again. Thank you. Yes, a great way to kick off the year is um, is having the conversation that we just had today. Um, and uh, we are here every other Tuesday. We drop episodes um, and you can follow us at the number four degrees pod. Um, Julia mentioned a lot of great resources. We'll be putting that in the show notes. Um, and um, as always, we'll have contact information for anyone who has more questions or wants informa more information on the things we discussed today. I just want to add Nemo and I have been working very hard to add some additional content to our social media pages. And so check out our Instagram, check out our Twitter. We have reels where we update you guys on follow up content for the episodes. Um, and like Nemo said, we drop episodes every other Tuesday. Thanks for joining us in the new year and peace out, y'all.